Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 152. We are recording on April 28th. I'm Sharifa Williams here with Jen Northington, and today we have a fun topic. We're talking about characters we relate to, which is a super interesting exercise for me. I don't know about you. (laughs) It was. I found myself having to think actually harder than I expected about it because I there are characters who I want to be like like who inspire yes. me or who I want to be when I grow up and I'm like that's not relating to <laughs> like that yeah <laughs> that's something else like that's a different show so then I was like oh, okay like who do I relate to and I had some interesting it was interesting it was an interesting exercise yeah we can definitely get into that too because I had some similar feelings so mm. uh, we're gonna talk about some of those characters and the process of choosing those <laughs> characters. but first, I want to tell you about another exciting new thing from Book Riot and it is first edition. So bookriot.com co-founder Jeff O'Neill explores the wide bookish world. Interviews, lists, rankings, retrospectives, recommendations, and so much more featuring people who know and love books. You can find that at First Edition, and you you can subscribe. It's a podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And just to give you a taste of some of the recent episodes of First Edition, uh, we had Kelly and Vanessa digging into the legacy of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which is everywhere right now because of course the adaptation is out lots of people read that book as kids it's been on band lists there's all sorts of things of interest about the new adaptation and the legacy of this book and kelly and vanessa are here to talk about it and also rebecca and jeff uh predict or maybe even correctly determine the It Book of April, which is super interesting. I don't even know how you begin to do that. (laughs) (laughs) But they know books and they know trends. Uh, So you can hear from them about that. And you can also hear from expert Professor Erica Williams about Nella Larson, um, about and in honor of the new complete fiction of Nella Larson collection. And Nella Larson, of course, wrote Passing, very classic, iconic book. So, so much great stuff to dig into already. And again, you can subscribe to First Edition on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. So we're going to get into some news, but first we're going to hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest-paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. 
This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So the familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Okay, Jen, you want to kick us off with your first news pick? Indeed. And I have a story from Science Alert uh, that is about the Great Garbage Patch in the Pacific Ocean <laughs> by Claire Watson. The Great Garbage Patch is so depressing, side note. Yeah. I mean, I for I like forget it's there and then and then when I remember I'm like, oh right. Oh, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. But there's this fascinating story that now like species, coastal and like ocean species are hitching a ride on the garbage patch and not just like, you know, surviving but thriving. And they may be moving to new habitats via the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. So it it just I was like, this is this is basically a science fiction story already. And then I remembered that Kat Valenti wrote an amazing story, The Future is Blue, set in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch that then led <sighs> to a novel called oh i didn't write it down the future is red i'm pretty sure it's the future is red so i was just like oh wait it's already there (laughs) it's all just right there (laughs) but like you know one of the reasons that i love science fiction is that it you know offers a wonky mirror sometimes onto what is going on in our world and a warning perhaps about what that could be like and i just I just felt like y'all needed to hear about this. Also, I look forward to other stories written about like the, you know, new species that rise from the Pacific garbage patch slash I'm terrified of it, you know, and also everybody should read the short story by Kat Valenti. That's, I don't know. I like, it just felt very science fictional and relevant to our lives. There is another, there's a story also in um, Lesser Known Monsters of the 21st Century by Kim Fu. There's a short story in there that this also reminded me of. Not as specifically, like this story was not actually set on Mm. the Great Garbage Patch, but it was about this sort of like mysterious, unknown blob that's just floating through the ocean and nobody knows if it's sentient or if it's an actual thing and there's like a runaway bride in it and I was like yeah this is absolutely fodder like there is so Mm -hmm. many weird and unsettling things in the ocean this is of course a man-made thing Mm -hmm. it was made by humankind it is not great uh or unfortunately mysterious but I think it's so, it is very sci-fi, like the way real things Mm -hmm. in the ocean, living creatures kind of evolve or adapt in odd ways to the horrible things we put out there. I just don't want anybody to come over and be like, well, look at that. You know, we don't have to worry about the great garbage (laughs) patch after all, because Creatures are adapting, but no, this I mean is it's like so it's horrifying. bad news actually because they could end up places they're not supposed to be and disrupt other ecosystems. Right. I mean, they for sure will. They already are. There's no doubt that this is already happening. Uh, so yeah. it's just like great. Now what? <laughs> yeah, so disturbing. So it disturbing. really is. 
All right. Well, I have a couple quick ones, actually, that I want to talk about. One much faster than the other. So I'll just go ahead and start with that. So the Los Angeles Times Festival of Books happened. Maybe you've seen, like I have, a million posts in your feed about people going to the Festival of Books. Mm. I used to go all the time when I lived in LA. It was like one of the highlights of my year because there were always so many great panels and amazing authors that would show up. And of course, there's a whole book prize that's attached to the Festival of Books, and that is the Los Angeles Times Book Prizes. Um, So I wanted to shout out the uh, science fiction and fantasy winner of the book prizes, which is, um, I just lost my tab, even though I... (laughs) Literally, I was just looking at this, but it's the the book that you actually had some. Yes, Spear. Yeah, by yes, Nicola Spear, Griffiths. Exactly. Yes, yes, I I did. We we uh, requested. We we sent her a request for the first anthology. Swipna Krishna and I sent her a request for Swordstone Table, being like, "Do you want to write an Arthurian, you know, retelling short story for us?" and <laughs> She was like, I don't even know what I would do. And then said yes. And then it turned into a novella that was too long for the collection, which then became yep. Spear. So I did sort of sideways uh, help sort of I guess, midwife this into being. I feel a little, <laughs> I feel a little bit like it. It I helped it come into being, which makes me really happy. And um delighted to see that it won the LA Times uh, Prize for Science Fiction and Fantasy. It's so good, y'all. I also, quick shout out, um, Alexander Segura won the, uh, Alex Segura, I don't know why I just called him Alexander. Alex Segura won (laughs) Mystery Thriller for Secret Identity, which is like kind of got a superhero twist on it. So it's SFF adjacent. Oh. Uh, so and is a really enjoyable, fun read. Segura actually also had a story in Swordstone Tables. So this is just like I'm like, oh yes, these authors, I love them. They're amazing. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, authors. it's like a it's it's a swordstone table get together. It is. <laughs> it's really cool to see. Uh and the prize name was the Ray Bradbury Prize for Science mm. Fiction, Fantasy, and Speculative Fiction. I finally found it. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Uh, so congratulations to them and to everybody else who won one of these prizes Um, and my next one I wanted to talk about this story a cover reveal actually because I know there are a lot of Tamora Pierce fans out there so this is reported on by Publishers Weekly and Joanne O'Sullivan And there is a 40th anniversary reissue, I can't believe 40 years, 40th anniversary reissue of the Song of the Lioness Quartet, and there's going to be a paperback edition, there's going to be a first ever hardcover box set, so both of these are box sets, I should say, Um, so the reissue of the paperback box set is going to have new art, it's going to be out August 29th. And the hardcover box set will be available September 26th. And there's this whole profile of this series and about how Pierce influenced a whole bunch of other SFF writers, especially who are writing feminist works and who really put women at the center of their stories. And just, I just wanted to say that in the quagmire of, you know, conversations about TERFs and SFF Mm. and book bans, like reading this profile was a breath of fresh air. (laughs) It felt so good to hear from an author with this amazing legacy as somebody who wrote these books that hold a real significant and enduring spot in a lot of readers' hearts. Um, Talking about like trying to make sure to include and incorporate more characters who are openly LGBTQ plus Mm -hmm. and really emphasizing the importance of like, oh, you can be many things as a woman or as a non-binary person or as a queer person. You don't have to like follow the norms or the expectations of 
you know, what's been expected of you in history and currently. And just to hear her talk about her fans and how much she appreciates their voices and how they um, encouraged her to write in these characters and to shape her stories to include more types of characters was just like, so wonderful. And I never grew up reading these books, but after reading this, like I've always wanted to, mm. I just haven't made a lot of time, but now I'm like, okay, this is like my cue. I'm going to go get the paperback set of this 40th anniversary edition and finally sit down and read these books that sound so amazing. So oh, wow. I just loved it. Yeah. I just loved it. I, I did grow up reading these and have been, you know, following Pierce a bit over the years. I also, I got to meet her one time at Comic-Con many moons ago and there's photographic evidence and it was just, you know, she was lovely in Amazing. person. Um, yeah. And, you know, she's a human. So there's definitely been, she's, you know, had some missteps over the years and there's some of the stuff in the books that has not aged quite as well. But I did a big reread of all the Tortal books because there's like four, possibly five series set in the world of the lioness, uh, you know, Song of the Lioness Quartet. And I read all of them, literally all of them, uh, a a few years back. And it was, I do not regret it, I will say. Um, Some of those (laughs) books are, are, you know, more near and dear to my hearts than others. uh, But they're all really fun. And I kept... I bought all of them in like, you know, used paperback and I'm keeping them to give to my niece for when she's old enough, because these are absolutely books that I think do, you know, get handed on and you can have some great conversations about the stuff that happens to these characters and what they think about and what they go through. And also they're just really freaking fun. So I love that. Yeah, I have I do have a lot of feelings about about the Song of the Lioness Quartet. I will say the the new covers are beautiful, but I maybe it's just because of the nostalgia factor. I really love some of the old cover art, so I will not be giving up my my old <laughs> raggedy paperbacks, but this is beautiful. And I do think it's the kind of cover art that brings new readers to this series, so I'm excited for that. Yeah, it has like almost like anime style. Yes, I was thinking that. I was like, oh, this feels like it could be like a manga in there, but it's yeah. not, but it could be. Um, so but the kids love the manga. They so. love the manga. I mean, <laughs> I love the manga, so I'm Me with too. them. <laughs> but yeah, those, they're beautiful. I can't believe it's for, I mean, we're the, I'm the same age as the Atlanta series, and that's wild to me. I know, so, right? Can't, I can't handle it. Can't handle it. <laughs> What is time? Woo. It just keeps ticking. It just keeps going. Uh, all right. I have a quick one, too. I mean, quickish, depending on how much we end up gushing about it. I <laughs> got chills watching the trailer for The Marvels, which is going to be directed uh. by Nia DaCosta. This is uh, Black Girl Nerds has a write-up by the BGN staff. And it includes the trailer. And I... I somehow missed that this movie was happening. I literally did not know this was going to be a thing until I watched the trailer. And I went into the trailer not having read the copy. So I was like, what? It's a new Marvel Marvel movie. Like, okay, everybody's freaking out about this trailer. Let me watch it. And then I was like, it's, you know, it's Carol Danvers. It's Kamala Khan. It's, you know, um, Monica Rambeau. Like, it's the three... Uh, three amazing superheroes all in a movie that looks like so much fun and I just I can't even y'all I'm like speechless with how excited I am for this movie did you watch the trailer I did I was like jumping up and down in my seat I was so excited I remembered that when I was like going down the uh Kamala Khan rabbit Mm -hmm. hole and trying to make sure we would see her again in other, yes. you know, in another season or something else. And I remember hearing that she was going to show up again in a Captain Marvel movie, mm. but I completely, it fell out of my head once I saw that there was another season yeah. of um, her show coming out. Yes, I'm so excited Plus. for more Miss Marvel. It's so yes. good. It's so good. 
But I'm so glad we get to see all of these characters together. It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun, which I love when, you know, these these movies really dial into the fun, especially mm-hmm. when it incorporates characters like these that are just like meant for it. And it just looked like a really good time. Just like yes. action-packed, full-blown adventure, just like great characters and camaraderie which I love yeah it was also reminding me of early in the Avengers movies when Peter Parker as Tom Holland gets introduced to the situation and like very much plays like I'm a teenager among adults like I'm gonna say things yes and they're (laughs) gonna roll their eyes or I'm gonna roll my eyes and I'm gonna be like the comedic relief and Kamala is just doing that thing here because you know Monica and Carol are both adults and like she's thrown into this world of adults you know, superheroes and has to like do her best to keep up. And it's just, I mean, I think that actress in particular just thrives on those moments. And it's so exciting to see this coming. Yeah. Iman Vellani is like amazing. I'm so excited. Yeah. She is. She serves big teen energy, which is like the awkwardness. It's just all perfect. (laughs) And the fan, (laughs) like the fan awkwardness on top of it. Oh, it's so good. I'm so excited. Yeah. That scene where she shows up, where Captain Marvel shows up in um, Kamala's bedroom. Kamala's room. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like so good it's so good (laughs) oh same same i'm ready i've not been this excited about an avengers movie or like a marvel movie and i don't know how long i honestly don't remember the last time well that's not true spider-verse that's the last time i was this excited but like to get these three female superheroes is oh it's gonna be so exciting it's gonna be epic i'm yeah i'm looking forward to it yeah Well, I guess I'll move us right along to our last one, which is some more AI shenanigans. (laughs) I think the last thing we talked about was like the Clark's World stuff with AI submitted um, short stories and their response to that. Now there's a whole thing in the Reddit, the subreddit for fantasy um, that basically, I guess it sounds like enough AI generated responses to comments and comments in general happened that our fantasy had to have make a whole announcement about the use of AI and chat GPT in like basically making comments and responding Mm -hmm. to people who are asking for things like recommendations and then people basically spam with chat GPT canned responses that really don't provide any a helpful answer and Mm -hmm. are obviously AI generated. So they had to make a statement and they decided that they are not going to allow any AI generated commentary on the subreddit. So They're going to basically, this is where I always get curious is like, how are they going to actually figure out whether comments are AI generated or not? Yeah. And they talk vaguely about it, but they say that there are specific, like there are certain markers they can see and there are tools they're going to use to be able to distinguish organic comments comments that come from human beings from AI mm-hmm. generated stuff. And I know that there are some ways like AI generated comments and responses and whatnot tend to sound really robotic and they like it's it can sometimes be easy to distinguish the style of a human being from AI generated stuff. Um, I've seen some in real life examples of that mm-hmm. and how people have been able to distinguish. So I'm assuming that is what they're going to be going by, just like moderators looking at stuff. But I don't know if they have an additional tool or whatever. And they're going even so far as like if somebody says, oh, I used 
ChatGPT to come up with a response to this, which is something that happened in one of these threads where somebody was literally like, I plugged your question in and I found an answer. And the answer was actually helpful in that um, and on that occasion. And the person was transparent about it. But even with that, they're not going to kick somebody off of the forum, but they're going to delete the comment and basically let them know what's up. And then if they do a repeat performance of that, then they might get booted off. But I just think it's so like I'm always keeping my eye out for mm-hmm. how people are dealing with this stuff. And in, you know, the world of SFF, it's, you know, not excluded from having to figure out what kind of response you're going to have to chat GPT stuff and how you're going to deal with it. And this does seem to be the way a lot of places, forums and other online sites and media companies are dealing with it. It's just interesting. It is. I appreciated how they said, you know, they know that it has its uses, um, but also their concerns are that, you know, AI can be very, AI answers can be very convincing and users may not be able to discern whether or not the information is accurate, which is an issue. And then also they made this point about, you know, they want it to be a subreddit for fans to talk about shared interests and AI disrupts that by bringing in this artificial, you know, intrusion into a human space. And I thought that was Mm -hmm. like a very good way to say it. It's like, it's not that it doesn't have its uses or that you couldn't use it legitimately, But, like, that's not what this space is for. This space is for humans to use their human brains to talk to each other about speculative fiction. So that's what we're going to do. And I think that's, uh, I, like, wish them good luck. I hope that Reddit (sighs) is providing them with actually useful tools for this. And that also people aren't jerks about it (laughs) because, you know, it's the Internet. Uh, But, you know, I do think that... I think that this is a smart way to look at it. Like, what is this space for? Like, what are we trying to do here? Because there are places where AI-generated content is helpful and useful and appropriate, and then there are going to be spaces where it's not. And the trick is to find ways to gate it so that it stays where it's useful and does not go where it's not wanted or where it will be a problem. And, you know, there's no, like, one way to do that. So everybody's just trying to figure it out. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Like, definitely stating and recognizing what the purpose of the space is, Mm -hmm. is a very straightforward way and a way I think a lot of people can understand to talk about the use of AI and chat Mm -hmm. So I also wish them good luck. Um, I hope that people engage in good faith and and you know try to act like human beings on <laughs> on these forums. It's all we can <laughs> it's all we can do, you know? It's all we're trying to do here. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, that's it for our news. Uh we're going to hear from another sponsor and then we're going to talk about the characters that speak to us and that we relate to. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are back. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit more about the thoughts you had as you were trying to choose characters? Because I definitely had some challenges, especially with superheroic characters. I was like, that's not me. (laughs) I love this character, but I probably would not have responded to this situation the same way. I can't relate, but. Yeah, it's so funny to think about what that word relate means. And I ended up 
you know, going with like, okay, which characters made me feel seen? Like that somebody was like, I see you. This is you. I see you. And I'm going to put you on the page in this way. And of course, there is not, aside from like myself insert fanfic from when I was 12, like there is not one character (laughs) that is like, oh, it's me. Like I am exactly this person, you know, in, in this novel or whatever. But there are, there were characters where I was like, well, this part of their personality or this part of their behavior patterns, like I deeply, re- I'm like, that would be me. That's me. I'm that. Um, so that's, but I, it took me weirdly a long time to get there. Like I had to go around all of these like other characters and I'm like, well, I want to be that. Or like, I enjoy that about them. Or like, I want, <laughs> you know, I admire that or I'm inspired by it. And I'm like, okay, all of those are good things, but that's not the question. Um, and my brain just was like really reluctant to go in this other direction. I don't really know why. Yeah, I don't either. I ended up having to basically, <laughs> I was like scanning my bookshelves and I was like, where are the messy characters? Where are the messy characters? <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I sat there and stared also. I was like, where yeah. are you? <laughs> I was just like, I need some imperfect people. But I felt this, I had the same sort of, I landed at the same place where I was like, well, this character isn't me, but there are definitely aspects of this character that r- resonate with me. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I get where they're coming from. I feel the same way. I have had a time in my life where I probably would have done the same things, made the same mm-hmm. choices as they did. So, so I guess I can start with my first one who is somewhat aspirational, somewhat relatable as far as I go. And that's Mika Moon from The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches by Sangu Mandana. Um, And I loved this character who had so much more patience than I do um, (laughs) and made some choices I might not have, but who in small ways – I related to like this is somebody who appreciates all the things I appreciate baked goods food Mm. in general coziness (laughs) and like the things she prioritized that Mika prioritizes having um, you know she lives in this small messy apartment when we meet her moves around a lot which 100% I related to, Mm. especially in my 20s and early 30s, I was just like, not for the same reasons, not because like, I couldn't let anybody know I was (laughs) an actual magical witch. (laughs) So you say. (laughs) So I say. So I say. I am also not a Instagram famous witch, which Mika Moon is. But like that she had a traveling greenhouse that was like a magical space for her little gardening pursuits and her magic and stuff like that was I was just like this is a woman after my own heart because Mm -hmm. if I had this power I would 100% make this happen with a little koi pond and everything yes absolutely (laughs) and just her general love for gardens and nature because that is basically the spirit of the type of magic she works like That is excellent. That is absolutely, especially now as I'm getting into my real granny mode, like (laughs) I have the same appreciations. All I want to do all day is garden and think about plants and what I can do with plants and be out in the woods and whatnot. Um, And so like that aspect of her personality, like her passions and her, her loves, like those things absolutely spoke to me and I was just like yes 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 everything you want I want to like cozy (laughs) attic in a big house I'm happy to have an actual house but if I was at a different phase of my life that would have been my thing absolutely uh living by the coast was another thing she loved Mm -hmm. that was that was my life as well um but yeah as far as aspirations go the patience and wisdom like 
that's next level. That's uh, <laughs> dealing with some preteens and being yeah. like cool about it. Right. That, that'll take some time for me. <laughs> but I love her so much. And I just loved reading about her because, you know, I, I felt all the feels for the things she was passionate about. Yeah, for sure. I can see yeah. it. I can see it. Absolutely. <laughs> Having been a recipient of your homemade witchery, I I can yes. see it. Yes. So good. Well, s- yeah. speaking of granny mode, <laughs> the first <laughs> one that occurred to me is Sophie from Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones because... You know, I didn't have sisters, I have brothers, and I didn't, I don't live in, you know, a world where things follow fairy tale rules, but mm-hmm. Sophie's, like, old before her time vibe, I mean, she literally gets cursed by a witch to become a granny when she is still young, but she half does it to herself, and I really relate to that. <laughs> I was a super serious kid. And have been a super serious adult and, like, always sort of felt like adventures were for other people. They were not for me. And I have come out of that in a lot of ways. And now I do have adventures and they don't scare the bejesus out of me. But, like, (laughs) there's these moments when things are happening. Like, Sophie's being chased by the scarecrow and she's like, am I going to have a heart attack? Like, I might die right now. And I'm like, yeah, that's what it feels like when something is happening good or bad, like just out of my comfort zone, like I might die right now. It could happen. It's not going to happen. But that's what it feels like. Um, And it's not quite a portrayal of anxiety, but it gets close. And, you know, that I just really it's me like it's me. I like live a granny life in a lot of ways, you know, and I am quite comfortable with that. (laughs) But I've also started to recognize the ways in which those beliefs are a narrative that I don't need to own or that I can expand my comfort zones and have adventures and have that be good too. Uh, so Sophie is really, I have a lot, I, I have a lot of um, sisterly feeling, self feeling mm-hmm. for Sophie. Uh, she just, her journey is one of my favorite. That's a, you know, chicken soup book for me when I'm like feeling down or I'm in a slump and I don't know what else to read or I'm sick. I'm like, How's moving hustle? Let's read. Let's read about <laughs> Sophie. And one of the reasons is because I do. I feel very seen by how Sophie is on the page in the first book. Not so much the later books, but the first book for sure. So, yep, granny mode. It's it's uh it's my comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great one. I can absolutely see that. And that is a great journey for the character. Yeah. Uh, so I see all the good sides of Sophie too. Uh, that is a chicken soup book i want to read it again already i know well my next one is this is when i was really thinking about like sort of messy millennial character particularly i thought about candace chen Mm. from severance by ling ma Uh, and this is such an interesting you know post-apocalyptic pandemic book about Mm -hmm. a sort of driftless that follows a driftless millennial really who responds to this global upheaval in such a millennial way (laughs) and particularly in the first part of the book where we start to we take a look at like her past and her life as um a 20-something young woman in the big city trying to be a grown-up and also just feeling like completely driftless and like there's no real focus and just trapped in mundanity. Like that really resonated with my 20-something experience, especially being in the corporate world because Mm. Candace has this kind of soul-sucking job in publishing with like, you know, novelty vanity Bibles, which is such a strange path (laughs) 
But you know, when you're young and you're just looking for a steady paycheck and a job somewhere that feels stable, like you choose positions in places you are not necessarily enthusiastic or excited about. And Mm. I absolutely had that experience, like working at insurance law firms of all things not publishing at all but horrible horrible experiences in that world and it was just sort of like well they're gonna give me a paycheck and I can get this job so Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it was just like that same sort of like really at the core of this book you're you're investigating and analyzing just this sort of the routine like this wearying, tiresome routine where you're just stuck in a loop. And the whole like zombie aspect of this story is around these undead characters who are just trapped in this loop of like the mundane aspects of their lives. And Candace is kind of like that in her waking living life before this all happens. And then when the downfall of the planet occurs she's just like you know wandering through the city taking photos of abandoned places like and I was Mm. like yeah I guess like if something happened and I was just kind of on my own in this empty world sure make it art (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like a good way to while away the hours but yeah I just thought like between the bad relationships and also Candace's experience as a child of immigrants and Mm. this mundanity and feeling adrift like I just got that I would however never trust an IT tech to lead me (laughs) through this sort of situation 100% no (laughs) (laughs) it's such a good one it's such a good one love it I love it oh so good So, all right, my next one is Cleric Chi from The Singing Hills Cycle by Nevo, because like Chi, I just want to hear people's stories. Like if there was a world in which my entire job was to travel around on foot and like talk to people and get their stories, I would 1000% do that job and like not in like like I'm like oh that's like kind of like a journalist but not really like it's like because Cleric G is doing this for archival purposes right like they they're they are a monk of stories they collect stories they bring them back to their abbey or monastery I can't remember what it's called and then they go out and get more and like that's it's me I am a story hoarder like I literally make yep. anthologies now <laughs> so that I can get people to tell me more <laughs> stories like I work in books because I love stories and I also sort of love how they are the recorder of the stories and sometimes a narrator of the stories, but they are not the story themselves. Like they are an observer. They get involved in a little bit, but like they're there to watch and learn. And that also feels, I mean, related to my granny mode. Like that's, yeah, that's how I like to do it. I like don't (laughs) necessarily want to be part of the story. I just want to hear about it. I want to maybe even see it, but I don't always want to be part of it. And I just so strongly feel like I know I know Chi and like could be Chi and I just am so jealous that this is their job (laughs) you know in the same way that it's like oh the tea monk right from the Becky Chambers um yes which is like aspirational that's aspirational but like this is I'm already doing this in in my own way like she and I are doing the same thing. Just like I don't get a magical talking bird and I have to do other things for my day job. But like, it's me. It's me. <laughs> so, yeah, I just I just really feel so seen by by Cleric Chi from from the Singing Hill Cycle. You have literally expressed aloud that you have no interest in writing the stories yes! you want to like. I don't. You just want to bring them together in anthologies. Yeah. So I was like, this is the most perfect. Like, <laughs> I great, don't. Great pick. <sighs> ah, to live that life. Mm-hmm. Well, my last one 
seems like a repeat in a way, but I will explain why it's not. It's Circe <laughs> from Circe by Madeline Miller. And yes, I realize like gardeny witchy person, similar to Mika Moon in that mm. way. But the things about Circe that really spoke to me, um, especially again in the beginning of the book, was Circe as a child growing up in this place where she really did not fit in, where she felt like she was kind of a dim bulb amongst bright lights. And for my childhood experience, especially, that really spoke to me in a sad way. Mm. But it was sort of like the, like I grew up with larger than life parents and felt a little bit under their shadow and didn't really know how to find my own way or to figure out where my strengths were because I was so focused on the fact that, you know, like I felt like I was, I, I did not have any obvious strengths. Mm. Like that stuff from, uh, Circe's childhood, like I got, and that she was this sort of quiet, reserved person who whose voice wasn't even really appreciated. Thankfully, in my family and my life, like that wasn't the thing. It was mostly just that I was a naturally reserved person mm. who did not know how to use her voice, but mm -hmm. like the way she goes about kind of quietly in her world. Um was really, I felt like a nostalgic sort of uh, sadness for my child self and a wanting to be like, you you got this, you're going to be okay. Aww. And Circe gave me those same feelings of like, okay, she's going to come out of it. She's going to be better than ever. And sure enough, on her journey, she was and she found her strengths. And that sort of trajectory really spoke to me as well. Um, after coming out of not feeling like you were cool enough for the crowd you were around. It was mm. it was a really wonderful, cathartic thing to read in this story. Um, and also, of course, taking comfort in solitude and the natural world. Like mm. for a long time, I was a very solitary creature and I came to appreciate and really enjoy that life, even though it wasn't necessarily something I I chose right away, mm -hmm. but finding, you know, going out into the woods and hiking by myself and things like that really uh, pulled me through and made me appreciate the solitude and the quiet and the ability to look inward. So um, that part of the philosophy of who Circe is and was like that. I loved it. I just loved mm. it. It was very cathartic. And now you're a powerful witch. So like with a huge <laughs> voice. So that's awesome. You know, yeah. Yeah. I've got my friends now. You that's know, right. I've got my uh my witchery and you got no your gods are spurning yeah. me, I hope. That's right. <laughs> Not at the moment anyway. Not good. Not yet. <laughs> Well, it's so funny. We I feel like we always find these parallel trajectories by accident. My third yeah. pick is also very similarly, like, based in how I felt growing up. Um, and it seems it's it's going to be a surprising pick, so wait for it. I'll explain it. But it's Lauren from <laughs> Parable of the Sower by Octavia E. Butler. And the piece, there's so much about Lauren that is not me, right? Like, it's very obvious. Lauren and I are very different people. But the the thing that really hit me, especially the first time I read the book, and then I remember it all over again every time I reread it, is the the this sort of curse slash gift of empathy that Lauren has, where she feels other people's pain in particular so strongly that it incapacitates her and like I was such a sensitive kid I still struggle with this with having real boundaries between what are my feelings and what are other people's feelings and I just I did I just felt so seen by the way that Lauren has to figure out how to survive when this is an, a sort of unchangeable thing about herself, like she's going to feel this. She has to get used to it. She has to figure out 
you know, her tactics, her strategies for dealing with these moments when she is going to be incapacitated by somebody else's pain. And I just, I just really, it spoke to me on such a deep level because it's really, I think that, I mean, we all hopefully naturally, unless you're a, a sociopath, you have empathy for other people, right? Like we all experience empathy to some degree, but I do think that and I, you know, don't know if this was Octavia Butler's experience also, but I do think some people experience it to a much more extreme degree. And I, I have been one of those people and I've had to do a lot of shielding work to function in certain situations. And I continue to struggle with this. And so every time I see it on the page, I'm reminded that it's not just me. Other people experience, you know, similar things. Um and it is both a gift and a curse. And, and, and it's like you can survive it. You can keep going. You can do hard things because Lauren does the hardest things, you know. And, um, and that was really – that was inspiring to me when I read it. But also, again, like deeply relatable, deeply, deeply relatable. So Butler just out here seeing us all in different ways. Of course. Oh, course. that is a yeah. tough character to be. Yeah. <laughs> I feel for you. That is yeah. hard. That is hard. Uh, but it's so great when you read these books and you feel seen and you feel like yeah. there's something to relate to. Yeah. And maybe one day we'll talk about the characters we would like to be our yes. heroes. <laughs> yes. I'm going to put it on our list of ideas. For- yeah, do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you'll all tell us what characters you relate to, but that's it for our picks and this show. SFF Yeah is sound edited by Caitlin Frame. Many thanks to her for making us sound great each and every episode. You can find more recommendations at bookriot.com and you can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Thank you so much for listening. If you do want to tell us about the characters you relate to or anything else, you can email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And if you have a moment, please review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you listen and can rate us. It really helps people find us. Uh, In the meantime, you can find us online. Where can they find you, Jen? I am back on Instagram. Uh, I am Jen IRL. That's I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And still on Tumblr as Jen IRL. And you can find me on Instagram at S-I-N-O-B Williams, S-C-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.